0: Why does every Christian need to know at least the basics about the Enlightenment so they don't misunderstand their Bible today? Hey, I'm William Dyer. This is Dyer Conversations. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. Now, this is going to be the second podcast I'm doing in this series, so if you've missed the earlier one, you could check out the link in the description below or click the link that's on your screen right now. In the first episode of this series, What I try to emphasize is that it was at the Enlightenment when biblical study really created two different paths by which you can approach the Bible. You have the traditional view, and you have now the critical view that started to really form at the Enlightenment. So as the objective student of the Bible, we need to ask ourselves, which of these views is correct? We have to examine them and see what their foundations are, and that's the point of this series that I'm doing So what is it about the Enlightenment that started this critical method, as opposed to the traditional view? Well, Old Testament professor of interpretation at Asbury Theological Seminary, Bill T. Arnold, uh, he says this, and again, just like all the other episodes, all these quotes that I'm giving to you, I will link in the description below, so that way you can go look them up for yourself and read them in context and fact-check me. He says this, quote, emphasis on human rationality and the conviction that humankind was coming of age resulted in a rejection of supernaturalism and the concept of divine revelation. Now, this is what we touched on in the last episode, is that at the Enlightenment, essentially some of their philosophical um, foundations by which they were approaching the Bible with is... We don't believe in the supernatural, and thus we're going to deny miracles, and we're going to deny divine revelation and things like this. Now, this is actually not really something new. Uh, If you know your Bible, then you'll realize that this was exactly what Satan did to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? He said, uh, you know, as as they're there at the tree uh, that God told them not to eat from, Satan says, hey, has God said, has God said. And then, you know, the story goes on from there. So this is what Satan was doing from the very beginning, getting us to question divine revelation and putting ourselves in the seat, the judgment seat of knowing what is good and what is evil. Now, I don't want to get too much into the weeds on this point about reason versus revelation, But what I do want you to understand is that in the Christian view, we are not opposed to reason. Believe me, that is not what I'm saying at all. If you think that faith and reason are in some sort of um, opposition, that's not what the Bible teaches. So we are not pitting reason versus revelation. Christians believe that reason works with revelation, whereas the Enlightenment in this critical view exalts reason above revelation. And thus, our ability to rationally come to conclusions sits above divine revelation. I think you'll see how that kind of works itself out as we go through this entire series that I'm going to do. Now, what's the beginning of this critical method? So there was a French professor of medicine named Jean Astruc. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. It's A-S-T-R-U-C. That's how you spell it. And he's really the beginning point of this theory, all right? and What he did was he began to examine the divine names used in the early books of the Old Testament. So these early books, are you will hear them referred to as the Torah or the Pentateuch. It is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, the divine names that he examined... In those texts, when you know, if you've never studied anything about Hebrew, or have never heard anything like this, the original text was written uh, in Hebrew. We have it translated into English. So you will see in our English translations the word God, the word Lord. But in the Hebrew text, you will have names like Elohim and all of its different variations, and then Yahweh. So he examined these names, and what he did was, from this starting point, he believed that because there was these different names referencing to what you know we would call God, some sort of divine being, that it couldn't have been the same author. There had to be multiple sources behind the text. So what he's saying is, hey, look, you know, you have this text here that calls God, the one that's interacting with the patriarchs and with Israel, Elohim. And then, you know, you have other places where he's referred to as Yahweh, so clearly in his mind what he's thinking is, this has to be multiple sources, one source always refers to God as Yahweh, one source always refers to God as Elohim, and now down through the ages they have been combined by editors and formatted into what we call the Torah or the Pentateuch, these stories about creation and the patriarchs and then the exodus and so forth. Now, from this starting point, okay, it continues to develop over the next couple centuries, and we're not going to get into all the different variations of it, all the names that are associated with it, but I do want to highlight a couple key figures. So next on my list, you have this guy, Alexander Geddes, in the 19th century. And what he did was he argued that instead of source documents, like the earlier guy was talking about, you really, in fact, have fragments of various links that stand behind the law codes that we find in the Pentateuch. So all these laws that you find in the early books of the Old Testament, he says really what those are are simply fragments of various links from all sorts of different places, and then they get tied in together and made to be one document that we call the Book of Deuteronomy. And what you're seeing, again, is the outworking of this different philosophical approach on how you bring yourself to the text. So if you come to the text and you want to take it at face value and you want to say, hey, uh, what does the text say about itself? It claims to be written by Moses. It's pretty clear from the text, but if you come at it from this other philosophical standpoint that these guys were coming to it from, then what they did was they believed that there are these sources behind the text, there are these editors behind the text, and because of this, they don't take it at face value, and so then they begin to find all these different little variations within the text and attribute those to different authors, So, again, this theory just, I mean, the floodgates are wide open as to people pouring into it and saying, well, I think this is a source over here. And I think, you know, this belongs to this source. And, well, I think that, you know, this is the way it's worked out. And, I mean, it is just all over the map if you really study the history about it over the past couple hundred years. All right. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Stay tuned for future episodes in this series as we continue to critique the critical method approach to the scriptures versus the traditional method, and we get into more details about which one actually fits the evidence best. In the meantime, you guys keep studying. Leave comments below. Let me know what you think about these videos, and if you have any questions or you disagree with me on anything, and until then, I will see you next time.